0: We are on to our next book club called Man and Woman, A Divine Invention by Alice von Hildebrand. And honestly, when Josh chose this book to do together, I was thrilled. So he chose it last year when he started Theology and Reality and planned it out. And I was so excited because he gave me this book actually when I was pregnant with um, Colette, our fifth baby. Um, I think you gave it to me for Easter. It was like a new... It was like a, a new pregnancy mm. gift and you gave me this book and I read it, I think, in four days <laughs> and I just wrote notes and notes. And um, for those of you who are following me on Instagram at that time, I just put all those notes in. I was shocked at how much I learned um, because she wrote, obviously, Alice von Hildebrand. She was a philosopher. Um And she wrote The Privilege of Being a Woman, which I think a lot of us are familiar with. Um, It's a small book, very, very beautiful. But I think this really delves into the topics all the more, um, and especially shows like the bigger picture of man and woman, not just femininity. What What do you think as you begin, Josh?
1: Yeah, well, it's the first time I'm reading this, which happens a lot with a lot of books that we have that I'll buy and it'll we'll end up on the shelf for like five years. And then finally <laughs> I'll think, Oh, I've been staring at that for, you know, since two children ago, <laughs> I'll pick that up and read it finally. Um, yeah, I, well, I like it a lot. Um, I've certainly read plenty of things sort of related to the topics and that sort of revolve around it in different ways. And so it's interesting to, see what she has distilled here because it's a short book and there's a lot i think it doesn't there's a sense in which it almost kind of reads like her own notes because it's so Mm -hmm. dense and quick and short there's not a lot of elaboration on things there's not a lot of footnotes there's not a lot of like rambling long drawn out long-winded explanations for things it's very concise. It's very dense. And so there's a sense in which you might wish she said more, but I think I can appreciate how quick it is in the sense that she just sort of hops from one topic to another quickly, clearly, firmly, and then it kind of moves on and there's, it's not repetitive, but it's, she can, it's, I know she circles around a lot of topics again Mm -hmm. and again. Again, We're just into like the intro and the first chapter. And so I'm sure that that will branch out from here, but she's very keen on, I think setting a good foundation for what I assume she's going to do in the later chapters.
0: Yes. I think that's exactly right. Um, To me, she reads like an academic, not in a way where it's um, dry and overly academic where you can't understand it. It's easy to read, but she's hitting a lot of points very quickly. It's not it's not like emotional or you know like story based or things like that. Like it's a very much like here are the facts, you know. And I think that's what I love about her. She's so much this woman of here are the facts and take it or leave it kind of thing. Um, but what I also love about Alice von Hildebrand is she, um, she really is not afraid to look into, to share the truth of femininity and masculinity in light of not just church teaching, but looking at philosophy and our history, um, because she pulls up a lot of literature. She pulls up a lot of philosophers, these sorts of things, and and actually proves her point from this. And I think this is really an important point, and it's academic, because I think these days we're prone to think, oh, we can just ha- like formulate our own opinions about masculinity and femininity. But she shows what she's sort of highlighting here, which I think is a really important part of this book before we head into it, is that there's actually a truth about masculinity and femininity. And we need to actually delve into that truth and, and find it, especially because our philosophy post-modernism, post-industrial revolution, right? Would that be... The case, am I like talking crazy?
1: Depends where you're going.
0: Okay, is that these modern philosophers really, um, <laughs> like messed up our mindset uh, with these these foundations that were false, like Nietzsche and you know Freud and all of these things, and we don't realize how influenced we are by these philosophies that are bad philosophy that are evil philosophy. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think what she does is just points out that questions about these topics certainly can be asked in a new way today,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it would be silly to think that we're thinking about them afresh and anew. Right. right. There's been a long tradition for thousands of years that have been asking these same and similar questions. And so if we want to start thinking about these questions, it makes sense in a certain way to think about them from our own perspective, because that's the water we swim in. But at the same time, we would be silly to think that we should avoid the conversation that's been going on for thousands of years about what it means to be a human being, essentially. So we might think about men and women in a particular way, because we have particular 21st century problems, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: there's a wisdom to the intellectual tradition that goes back even before the Christian church, right? And so that's what she helps us to see, right? That That human beings have been thinking about these questions and these problems for a very, very long time. And so it makes the most sense to draw on all of that thinking and reflection and wisdom to help us answer those questions for the the problems that we have now.
0: I think that's exactly right and I think it's the perfect place to just delve in now. So we decided for this first episode we're going to talk about the introduction and chapter 1 and we just have a few different points we're going to hit on um and would you like to start Josh? Yeah,
1: these are short. There's two things I think in the introduction that stood out. It's probably only a couple pages, four or five pages. The first thing um one one thing I think that I'm going to assume is going to play out through the whole book, even though I've only read it through chapter one so far. But the first thing is something that I think is just a little bit elegant, maybe is the right way to put it. And a lot of the reflections that will show up throughout the book will ground themselves in this conversation about the relationship between the, the body and the soul because that's sort of the basic structure of the human being and obviously that's the you know asking questions about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman they need to ground themselves first in what it means to have human nature and be a human person and in the introduction she talks about how the human being and is a body soul composite? So that's really important. We tend sometimes to think about the body as one thing and the soul or the mind as another thing. We talk about like the you know ghost in the shell or something as though we're like, we really are our sort of inner parts in our mind and we kind of inhabit this, you know, not a robot, right? But that's that's sort of where the sort of transhumanist leanings go, mm-hmm. that we're, what we really are are our minds what we really are, are our insides and our feelings and the body we inhabit it sure but we can change it we can augment it and that sort of thing and there is a kind of truth in it right if i lose my hand in an accident i'm not like i'm not less of a person right, right. And my soul is still there but the fact of the matter is right, that we're body soul composite we're not our soul alone just like we're not our body alone we're both of those things combined And she uses the language of knighthood in comparison to the body, that the body is given a particular dignity by being united to an immortal soul in a way that no other sub-rational creatures are. And so I think, so that that language she uses where the body is knighted by the soul is so given a a particular kind of dignity that's sort of intentionally bestowed on it, just like... you know, a a monarch will will knight someone, right? It's kind of an intentional decision to elevate someone of particular worth, right? And so I thought that was kind of just a particular, it was was a nice way of putting it.
0: I think it's really beautiful. And um, right before she talks about the knighting, she talks about how in Eden, the body was in perfect harmony, body and soul were in perfect harmony. Um, And so was the relationship between Adam and Eve. And I think about this because I think all of us in one way or another at different seasons of our life or at different points or even now um, will put an emphasis on soul or body. But like the fact that perfection comes with this um like the body being obedient to the soul's like desire for God and the soul like igniting the body with goodness and holiness because we are made good. Like, all of these things, like, this matters, and I think in our faith, I guess, so this is getting a little bit heady, but, like, I think in our faith, it can be so easy to put an emphasis on one or the other, so, like, too much emphasis on body is vanity, and then too much emphasis on the soul is, um like, the sh- it is also, like, it can lead to, like, scrupulosity and, like, shame of the material world, which we see perfectly shown in the sacraments how material things can be transcended right so I think it's really important as men and as women to try to you know this book is about masculinity and femininity try to find that harmony of body and soul speaking masculinity if you're a man and femininity if you're a woman in both body and soul
1: yeah no and i think that leads into the the second main point that she brings up in the in the the introduction and it's this idea that she puts it as fighting on two fronts Mm -hmm. which is interesting um and so there's there's kind of a typical way of viewing the genesis story that there's four different divisions that are introduced by sin and she just focuses on two of them. Okay. So the idea that was with, and Adam and Eve are created, right? And another thing that she'll get to, I think, in chapter one, and maybe even in chapter two. I can't remember. Is there's 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 something interesting to be said about how Adam is created outside of the garden and Eve is created inside. But that's Ooh. beyond it. Uh, okay. But the whole point. Now is, I'm interested. Right? <laughs> After the fall, man, as in humanity human Mm beings introduce four different divisions into the cosmos right man is divided from god he's divided from creation he's divided from the opposite sex Mm -hmm. and he's divided internally between body and soul so there's these four different oppositions right these four different uh you know there's there's a kind of a severing of these four different relationships right god creation the other Mm -hmm. and interiorly body and soul she focuses on just two here right so she talks about the need to find harmony between with between body and soul Mm -hmm. so kind of in an interior harmony that needs to be sought and then she talks about the harmony that needs to be sought between adam and eve so she talks about these two different chasms right the chasm that sin introduces between the body and the soul and now they're kind of at war with one another. Mm-hmm. It's a very Pauline. And then this disharmony that's introduced between Adam and Eve, between man and woman in their interpersonal relationship. So it's a kind of intrapersonal and mm-hmm. interpersonal. So within the within himself, right, man is at war in a s in, in in a similar way, man is at war with woman.
0: Yes. That makes, yeah, <laughs> if yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. Yes.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I have thoughts on this, but I think we'll get to it in chapter one. So I want to actually turn to chapter one at this point. So Mm -hmm. we're on page one, chapter one in the beginning. We had, you had taken some notes here and I see there's a note on page one. So what are your thoughts on this chapter?
1: Sure. So, I mean, I think she mentions this in the introduction where she talks about the fullness of human nature being found in both man and woman, and I think it's interesting because it's it's true in one way, um, but it's 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 not true in a different way. But I think she sort of assumes that you understand that already. Um, so I just wanted, like, I wanted to go over that.
0: Yeah, explain that it's... because I don't get that. So can I say the quote real fast yeah, before you yeah, go in? sure, it? sure, sure. So it's it's we're on the first page and it says. First, the fullness of human nature is to be found in man and woman. So this is
1: right. So what she's doing is she's looking at in, in, I can't remember what chapter and verse it is. Um, But in Genesis where it talks about God creating man in his own image. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's, and then it says right after that male and female, he created them. Right. So it says, okay, he created man, male and female. And so it's, there's a kind of the species and then male and female fit into that Mm -hmm. together Mm -hmm. right and so if you take it as you need a male female couple some way Mm -hmm. some sort of binary where you have to have both male and female for there to be real humanity it's not true in the sense that if you were stuck on an island by yourself you wouldn't be human right because you didn't have like uh
0: a woman, like
1: the <laughs> like the opposite sex partner, for some reason, right. rather Like, for, but that's that's what I mean. So, like, you could think about it. Okay, well, any any kind of coupling, yeah, right? You could imagine this. It's not just, um, right, husband wife, boyfriend girlfriend, uh, mother son, cousins and siblings, etc. Right? You right. Could, so, there's a sense in which it is true, but the first thing that she kind of assumes, I'm I'm assuming, just from plenty of other things that she's said and and written, right, is that you're fully human all by yourself Mm -hmm. first of all Mm -hmm. because of the kind of thing that you are so it's not like you're a deficient human being if you happen to be single or have no friends right right so it's it's not a kind of um you can really only be fully human if you end up like with a spouse or something right that's not what she's saying um but what she is getting at, I think, is something that's really profoundly important in the sense that there's a fullness of what it means to be human that's present that where you do need both male and female, mm-hmm. where it's not as if, well, one of the sexes is really human and the other is less somehow or something, mm-hmm. right? It's male and female together together right the, which represents the fullness of humanity yeah because you have to be one or the other in that sense i think this is part of what she's talking about when she talks about the fullness of human nature is found in both men and women both on their own yeah and as kind of that's what makes up what it, human nature and you need both of these things
0: yes Which makes total sense. So I think of it like as you're talking about it, all I'm thinking is like these puzzle pieces coming together of, you know, they, man and woman are different. So then, but they're fully human, body and soul, made in the image of God with particular gifts and emphasis in like each of them. Right. So when those gifts come together, I think this is what she's kind of talking about. When those gifts, come together you see a greater sense you have a greater sense of who god is because you're getting to like gifts on it with two different emphases is that the right yeah. word i'm looking for mm-hmm. um but also it makes sense because when they come together then humanity um then there is the the like Opportunity for more human beings to come from this, right?
1: Yeah. Cause and another thing that she I think she's hinting at that she doesn't explicitly bring out um is this idea that's been developed over the previous few centuries about trying to view, trying to ask the question about what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Mm. And there has been there's there's this sort of a modern emphasis. That is good. You can take it too far, but there's a, there's a real sense in which people have asked the question about: Well, does the male female couple somehow represent humanity as the image of God together? Right? Is that what the image of God means? Right. But, so, but the the tra- taking into account the tradition, you have to say: Okay, at the, the fundamental level, each person. On their own is created in the image of likeness of god because that's sort of what grounds
0: mm. what
1: it means to be a person it grounds human dignity you have to have that in yourself but it is true like she gets she, she says further down on that that same page she talks about the plenitude of human nature mm. being found in male and female and i think what she's getting at there is this idea that we're created in the image of likeness of god because of our spiritual aspect the fact that we have intellect and will we have a soul we're able to know things and we're able to love things Mm. and so when we're talking about this relational aspect of what it means to be human that's also really important because the whole reason we were created with these spiritual powers to know things and love things is so that we can know and love other persons both other human beings and god Mm -hmm. so this is part of what in augustine's famous work on the trinity he talks about we're created in the image and likeness of god because we have these abilities to know and love and he talks and later in the tradition will develop a distinction between the image and the likeness he's where every human being no matter what if they're an atheist or they're the worst person you ever met Mm -hmm. still created in the image of god Mm -hmm. but you only You only are in the in the likeness of God the holier you get, if that makes sense. Oh
0: yeah. So you're
1: created, so you be Augustine talks about being in the likeness of God when we do the same thing that God does. And you think, okay, what does God do? God knows and loves himself. So we are really only fully in the likeness of God when we do what God does, which is know and love God. So Mm -hmm. God knows and loves himself. We are like God. When we do exactly that thing, when we know and love God. yeah. And then, obviously, which is something the Gospels emphasize, of course, is that you have to love God and love neighbor. Right. And so we're created with these spiritual powers that are what constitute us being in the image of God in order to know and love other persons, whether they're divine persons or other human persons.
0: Right. Okay, so then we sort of move into this... um, well, enchantment, I guess, that that she talks about and that you noted with, because we're looking at Genesis, right? We're looking at Eve and Adam meeting for the first time and their relationship and what that looked like. I really like, I think, so this, this quote is on page three. It says, Eve was his soulmate and ontologically equal to him. His response was enchantment. Um, I think that really sheds light on the dignity of woman, because I think, you know, sometimes we can go too far in two directions, you know, with femininity and womanhood, especially thinking about submission and things like that. Like this really shows like she's showing the dignity of woman, you know, and that woman is made beautifully and and um, and equal in dignity equally human you know not below man however a helpmate and also you know acknowledging the leadership but that doesn't take away from her dignity
1: yeah i think that's important right historically either you have women being radically beneath men Mm -hmm. or the other extreme which we're seeing now is where they're so equal that they're exactly the same and there's no difference at all
0: right a a gender gender neutral like yeah gender neutrality and also i think trying to imitate men
1: right but where there's a genuine equality here now it's 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 hard i think it's hard especially as americans to talk about this particular thing because of america's history with the civil rights stuff mm-hmm. where you heard all of the separate but equal which yeah, always yeah. meant not really equal right Right. And so right. we have like a bad history of that kind of language but if you think about this particular thing mm-hmm. there is a sense in which men and women are radically equal because they have they share the exact same nature yes but they're di- very distinct because they're very different they're very different creatures in a different kind of way where You have to try and hold both of those things in tension with one another where you can say there's some really radical differences between what male human creatures are and what female human creatures are but you also have to always maintain this very basic fundamental creaturely equality because we we're the same species we're the same kind of thing right ultimately
0: we're both human yeah made in the image of God right
1: but that's part I think and again that's part of what she's getting at in the previous pages talking about this idea that the fullness of what it means to be human always includes both both creatures in right that sense and I the think just and the feminine creature
0: we won't go down a rabbit hole with this because I'm sure we'll talk about it later but I think this is like we need to detach from this idea that that detracts of um that you know, St. Paul's call to submission or like man as like a leader of like the house, you know, and, and all of these things take, takes away from the dignity of woman. That is a lie. That is a total lie. And I think that's what she's getting at here is so profoundly she gets at that showing that Eve was not even made from the dust of the earth. She came from the body of man. I read, I was reading um, something by Scott Hahn recently, and he talks about how, you know, women Women weren't made from the feet of men. They are not the slaves of men. Women weren't made from the head of men. They're not meant to be above men. Women were made from the rib of man, standing next to him as his helpmate. And
1: yeah, from the side. Yeah, yeah there's some really interesting, there's some really interesting, like, linguistic stuff there where... Mm the Vul- the latin vulgate chooses to translate the hebrew word as rib but it could also just mean like his side or the the half of him yeah so there really is even in in the hebrew text thousands of years ago this definite idea of not a kind of platonic you know the the human creature individually was had no sex and then god split it in half and you're kind of roaming the world searching for your literal other half but there really is a genuine sense in that passage that eve is meant to be
0: the other half
1: a a, a perfect sort of fit yeah taken from it's
0: the puzzle piece thing uh yeah yeah which actually is like shown in the body as well
1: Yeah. And so that's why I think like her, her use of this word enchantment, I just, I think it's really nice.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well, we, I mean, I think in the Catholic world, we tend to think about enchantment typically in more sort of literary or imaginative or maybe aesthetic terms. We, you know, we talk about like a sacramental or a Catholic imagination to sort of things that we create, Mm -hmm. you know, how do we make things more Catholic? And we talk about, um, the disenchantment of the world. We kind of just view things the way that we are made to view them nowadays in a very kind of mathematical or materialistic or very non-spiritual disenchanted way. We, we mm. don't go around, we don't look at the world in a way that really causes us wonder anymore because we've sort of been tricked into thinking that we can just explain anything away. Mm. And so this, the use of her use of this word enchantment, this idea that Another creature, obviously different than any of the other creatures that God sort of lines up and, you know, parades past Adam for him to name and see if any would be a good companion for him. This
0: I love that God does that. Enchantment, God knew. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this enchantment she's <laughs> talking goodness. about is like a genuine recognition of something that he didn't recognize anywhere else. Right. I mean, yeah. it's a, a healthy human being is not going to go to the local dog pound and recognize his equal right behind the cages they might be really cute and
0: a you might want to take a healthy human yeah, being. <laughs>
1: right. you don't recognize an equal when you adopt a puppy or yeah. you know you you know jump the little flakes in your fish tank that sort of thing and but this this recognition this eye to eye kind of you realization like that you've seen yeah, yeah. That they, that you've seen something that is as wonderful as sort of as your own interior life
0: mm-hmm.
1: in that sense
0: mm-hmm. It's really beautiful yeah. and striking.
1: Well, that's why you get that first kind of, you get like the first poem, really, right? oh, in Adam's yeah. words. Yeah. Right? And we think about like poetry as a particularly apt medium for wonder. And you get the first poem, essentially.
0: Yeah. In, in his response to Eve. In
1: scripture. Yeah. you know, Exactly. Yes. So I just like that idea of sort of reintroducing, sort of re-enchanting the world by recognizing, and I think it's, um, there's, there's, I don't remember what book it's from. It's in one of C.S. Lewis's books where he says something to the effect of, you know, you've never actually met another ordinary human being because there are no ordinary human beings. Mm -hmm. Like you've only encountered sort of these immortal creatures wandering the world. And we have to sort of, you know, another way of re-enchanting the world and Mm -hmm. reintroducing this idea of recognizing the good in everyone else is remembering that the people you walk by are just not, not just ordinary people. They, they they're these immortal beings that will exist for all of eternity. And there's a real sense in which that can kind of change your perspective on the
0: world. Yeah. That's really cool to think about. All right, let's turn to chapter, or not chapter page (laughs) four. Um, I had underlined here, Mm -hmm. um, about our lady I was just very struck by this quote of every single action of the Holy Virgin, however modest glorified God more than any noble task performed by any of the saints who inevitably loved God less. I was just really struck by that because it's, I mean, first of all, it's so true, but, but also um, just again, looking at how we view woman and how, Um, and how, especially within the Catholic church, you know, we really do see women in her glorious role because we honor and, and, um, and recognize like our lady's queenship. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful as the new Eve. Okay. So on page eight, I was really struck by the old Testament story, um, with Tobit getting married, and am I like?
1: It's Tobias, yeah. Well, it's the it's the book of Tobit. Okay. Yeah. They're very they're, Catholic. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 I re- I read I read it every... Tobit is his dad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs>
1: you figure they probably uh, they probably named the the dog something really similar too. Where it's Tobit, Tobias, and you know who knows, But Toto. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, okay. No. Be, yeah. Okay. So Tobias, Tobias turns to sarah
1: (laughs) i'm always gonna think of that now
0: and at the end of the page of um page eight it's the quote that he says um to sarah about not and really just not lusting after her but taking her on as like this sister like a true love in their marriage and i loved that alice like she took this and she's like why isn't this mentioned in the instruction of engagement couples today about not taking on um, in the spirit of lust. And I think this is really important in our climate because even in the Catholic world, we are told, you know, oh yeah, you can do whatever, just make sure it ends this way, you know? But like right here in scripture, it's saying like, don't lust, you know, like love, truly love, like even in um, intimacy, in these interactions and what does that look like and consider that like in your interaction with your spouse
1: yeah i think we tend to emphasize chastity either for single people mm-hmm. or for religious people or for priests and we tend not to talk about it so much with the vocation of marriage and yet
0: it is so important
1: yeah yeah for sure i mean it's obviously you have to talk about it in a different kind of way right but the i mean the, the basic you know, the the basic rules of chastity are just essentially like proper use of your sexual nature for whatever state you happen to be in. And so, yeah, I mean, it is really, it's like an interesting, I mean, the book of Tobit as a whole is a really interesting story Mm -hmm. um, if you've never read it. And, you know, surprisingly, like lots of people just have never even read through it. But so if if you haven't, you should read through it. It's pretty short. It's like like a little short story, essentially. It's like a little novella. I mean, it's no... I mean, it's it's longer than Jonah, but not, I mean, not not too much longer. But it is interesting when you look at the story from kind of broader perspective, where she has right she's she's attempted marriage like seven yeah. different times, yeah. yeah, and they've all been killed by this demon. But the one that finally works out is this this virtuous young like virtuous young Tobias, and so you can kind of read between the lines and it's not the main point of the story, but like I said, you sort of reading between the lines, you can see, okay, well, when, when does the, when does the marriage actually work out? Well, okay, well it's, it's in this moment. You read this prayer that he says, right. You know, the night that they go to sleep after having sort of exercised the demon where it's this marital union is meant to be one that's not just a sort of a purely this worthy materialistic sort of hedonistic sort of, desire it, but there is something that's much greater that that's sort of taken up into right this idea of marital pleasure right is assumed into something that's much more
0: transcendent Transcendent.
1: exactly yeah yeah that's um yeah so just and sincere yeah it's really it's a really interesting story it's really great prayer i'm pretty sure did we trying to think what we use for our marriage readings i don't know we use this or not did we Um, i
0: can't remember yeah but anyway i'm pretty sure it's an
1: option for for (laughs) for reading yeah for for the marital ceremony
0: yeah yeah
1: which makes perfect sense yeah yeah
0: Uh and you had a note on page nine
1: yeah on the next page yeah Mm -hmm. well uh, this is i think a theme that i that i assume just based on her rhetoric that will appear relatively relatively frequently Mm -hmm. because i think it's it's something that she's using for a rhetorical effect. And she talks about, um, she says, contemporary man has lost what Dante calls the hope to gain the mountaintop. Today, many young people, even Catholics, are cynical and despair of ever achieving a happy marriage. And it's such an interesting thing to point out because I think that it's genuinely true. That's, it maybe it's anecdotal, right? But I mean, there's, I'm sure many people can probably relate to this idea that. There's a great amount of anxiety in the world and despair and cynicism and a kind of loss of hope and optimism in the sense that in in, in, in everything, really. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about this in particular, this idea that you could find a really good spouse and actually live out what marriage is meant to be to the end of your days seems re- like seems, you know, maybe even more than in days past, like a kind of fairy tale because, you know, people our age, you know, millennials and and everybody else, we've seen over the last 50 or 60 years or so, we've seen marriages just collapse around us. I mean, I would be really shocked if I met someone who wasn't affected at least sort of tangentially by divorce, Mm -hmm. right? Even if it's not their own parents, it's aunts or uncles, or siblings, or friends, right? right? Um, and so people see that, and what it's a, that seems to be one of the reasons why, because there's this really interesting... So many marriage statistics are just really so terrifying and negative. Yeah. Um, the one that is positive is that divorce... Divorces have steadily dropped over the last few decades, but it seems like that's because... People are not getting married to begin with, right. so there's fewer people that actually get divorced, and so the the few, people, the the far fewer people who are actually getting married are the ones that are kind of self-selecting in a sense. Where if you know the kind of people that are getting married now are going to take it more seriously, which is really great. Mm-hmm. But I think so many people our age and younger are just terrified of divorce because of what it's done to their own families and their own friends and everything else. And so this idea that we've so many people have lost this hope to gain the mountaintop, this hope to achieve what most people still would probably recognize as a really great, good, a good marriage
0: mm-hmm.
1: seems to be something that is out of, you know, un- they, they can't grasp it or they can't see how it, and how could it work out for me? You know, if it didn't work out for these other people.
0: Yeah. And I guess, so you had mentioned the, like what marriage is supposed to be. So can you just talk about that a little bit? Like what is marriage supposed to be?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, at this, at this point, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into it as the, the we get further into the book, but at this point, just the, I I really just mean the very basics of uh, fidelity, right. With the marriage vows, right. You know, I'll, you know, be true to you till death do us part and sickness and in health Mm -hmm. and good times and in bad, because nowadays so many people misunderstand marriage as a kind of uh, a, a contract as long as it works out and we're both happy and we're both still in love and it's a, you're personally beneficial because if any of those things change, then you can kind of just bail. Right. Right. If we're right. not in love anymore, we don't feel it anymore. Or, you know, if you get like a terminal illness and it's really bumming me out. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you
1: know, you see those things in the news. It's just, it's I know. It's terrible. It's, it's so terrible. It's so sad. Um, there's the real sense of a loss of that you could actually do something really great with your life that was to the benefit of somebody else and in service of someone else. Mm-hmm. And so that that anxiety, that despair, that fear really seems to bring out everyone's sort of defensiveness mm-hmm. because there's a, there's a genuine sense in which to be human means to want to take care of yourself. But all of these fears mean you tend to want to take care of yourself in ways that aren't ultimately good for you. They might seem good for you in the time. Oh, I want to protect myself because this hurt or they're sick and I can't handle it. But as a human being, you're so much more than what you are in the moment, right? It's about a whole infinite trajectory. You're an immortal creature. And so something might be difficult in the moment, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be so much better for you as a person to actually be true to your vows and to this other person that you promised yourself to.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that's something that's it's almost almost supernatural in a sense, because that it's it a genuinely difficult thing to do. Right. And so a lot of people well, just Well, it's overcoming
0: at it the emotions that you feel in that moment. And they despair. And seeing the bigger picture of reality mm-hmm. and hanging tight and letting things pass over, letting the storms pass over. You know what? to be loved in your weakest moments, to be loved when you're sinful, to be loved when you're in a state of brokenness, because we are two sinful human beings married, right? And that's what marriage is too. Like that's Mm -hmm. like, we're in this, we're not in the garden of Eden anymore. And that's what I think Alice is really honing in on, you know, after original sin, things got twisted, things got complicated, that wasn't complicated in the beginning and so it's finding that simplicity again and we have we have access to that simplicity the holier we become the more Christlike we become the more we are seeking the truth of what it means to be man and woman and living it out authentically purely and extremely like really it's going to look extreme these days because of all this gender neutrality stuff Um, But when we're doing that, it does simplify it. And and these sort of these things of just, yes, you love, you love through the storms becomes a, a part of just how you live because you have the grace in Christ to do this. And so I think that's what you mean too by This is almost supernatural Mm -hmm. because there's, there's grace given to get back to that simplicity. It's never going to be perfect on earth. But I think that's part of the journey is learning to love the way Christ loves us in our weakness in our, you know, uh, constant frailties and unfaithfulness.
1: Yeah. I mean, so it's no wonder marriage is a sacrament Yeah, because it's,
0: we need the grace. It's hard right
1: well that's yeah i know that's well that's yeah i mean why the why the apostles are like well jesus if marriage is that hard is it should we do that is marriage good (laughs) yeah and yeah and jesus basically says well uh yeah it is really hard but to whom you know it's
0: yeah
1: yeah it is um it is a difficult thing that has to be embraced Mm -hmm. right and so that's why like the The actual knowledge of what marriage actually is, is is so important that you actually are intending that this really great good, and it's not just, oh, well, uh, it makes taxes easier, right? It's- Right. It's a a
0: good, it's, yeah. Uh And you know, how, okay, we're going to get into this next part, but also like how healing is it when you go into marriage and you know that person is going to be there and is committed to you? and is you know through thick and thin you're gonna get through it whatever it is whatever you're going through whatever frailty sinfulness all of these things when you stay committed and fight for it um it's it's like is there like what a victory of love
1: to trick someone into marrying you so they're stuck with you forever yeah yeah (laughs)
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so this last yeah, part no, of the chapter. No <laughs> yeah. This last Sorry. part of the chapter is so sad, but it's like so real. Like we just have to get into it. And then we're gonna get into feminism in chapter two, which is my favorite topic. Um, but right now we're gonna talk about what sin, the results of sin, um, in the male genius and the feminine genius and what that looks like. So for the male genius, she talks about the brute. So,
1: I'm still not sure what that word means. I,
0: it's like it's like losing, I like, I understand what it means. It's like kind of like rude and animalistic. No, and I like, meant
1: the word, I meant no, I mean genius. Oh, like when like when job Paul talked I about, I think like the JPT feminine just genius. did it,
0: and so now no, we I know, just, like, we do it is. That's what I mean. Talk
1: about it that <laughs> I way. still don't really. I, I
0: often say feminine heart because I don't, I like. Yeah, I no. Say
1: no, I definitely like I understand what he, yeah. what he means Male by heart. in the sense that like, what's what's specific to what it means to be a man or specific yeah. what it means to be fem- like, what are what are what are they particularly good at. to or good at? Genius. Yeah, okay, well, okay. that's
0: what that's what it is. It's their gifts. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like, what are they excellent? I'm
1: at? gonna have to think about that more, I think. So it's just it's not a word that I ever would have used for this particular thing. And so it always kind of throws me off a little bit.
0: Yeah maybe right. maybe male excellence female excellence. what are we try- we're, we're trying we're trying to anyway. change the language anyway so she's using male genius feminine genius all of that too i don't mind it i get it i think it's just no i don't gifts. mind
1: it either i think i just it's it's still one of those things i haven't thought too much about but i i assume that i probably should think more about what yeah. this word means yeah especially in english
0: i think so too i and i would actually be Curious what it means. Actually, I'm going to ask my spirit, my Polish spiritual director, what it means in Polish because I bet it has. Well, I'm just like going to deep... look
1: up what the Latin text is. in I mean, Oh,
0: that's good too. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So we're looking at the distortion of the male and female genius. Um, so she talks about the male genius and the brute. So we're not talking, you, we, we understand mm-hmm. what brute means. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> says says me as you like talk all these like really high wonderful things and i'm like wow. no it's, uh,
1: <laughs> it's it's a beast when princess belle first meets it it's right? a beast yeah i wish she's not princess then but
0: should,
1: yeah no yeah. It's, it's that's disney <laughs> princess yeah at the end yeah but not right away
0: okay so <laughs> um yeah, yeah, it's a
1: beast. It's it's yeah. A beast. It's, yeah, that's that's the whole point. That's the part of the point of that, okay. that fairy tale. This right? is what
0: I loved about this part, though. So she actually names some characteristics of masculinity. I love characteristics. Like, let's get particular. Nobility, strength, chivalry, objectivity, and then Eve. Then she names some of the feminine genius: gentleness, empathy, warmth, devotion, mystery. These are really important to actually name these traits, because when we understand that these are gifts that we have, but that can be distorted due to sin, then we can actually start to heal from that. Then we can acknowledge it. Then we can pray for the grace to live out these actual, very real characteristics of man and woman.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what she's getting at is this idea that everyone has so this this genius right these excellences these capacities these powers these things that you that that that. men and women tend on the whole in general statistically Mm -hmm. tend to have one right in one direction or another um it seems like what she's getting at is this idea that we can we have these powers these potencies these abilities things that we can do and when Guide, when when guided by reason when sort of healed and elevated by grace. Or these can be real excellences about us, but when distorted and wounded by sin, they become animalistic. Wep- we weaponize them.
0: Mm, yeah. Right. So like yeah. when
1: when we talk about so with the with the male right, if we talk about like strength and objectivity, right, those can be used for good. But when wounded by sin, right, you know, men can weaponize their strength, right, in a particular way and they be can, brutal and right.
0: cold-hearted. They
1: can they can weaponize their objectivity. They mm-hmm. can be cold.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, and also, so she acknowledges here the authority of man as well, the God-given authority, um, but how that authority of man can be abused, and I think we're seeing so much of the result of that in our day and age where like, the, because we have to acknowledge that like there, there is, me, there are men yeah. that failed women and it it's, it's caused big problems. Yeah. And like there are a massive women scale who,
1: for a long time. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's there, there's a sense, right. The, the whole toxic masculinity thing seems to be too widely applied to just what it means to be a man in general mm-hmm. on the, on the one hand. And yet at the same time, there's a real sense in which men kind of, are getting what they deserve in a certain sense in which there's a real sense in which men have really failed in all of these ways and so that's what i mean like there's a real there there is a kernel of truth in this idea that well there is a toxic masculinity and that's what she's talking about yes. when, when masculinity is distorted by sin and weaponized yes that's what we're talking about so it's not it's not just being a man yeah right, in the same way that you wouldn't paint the same broad brush you wouldn't paint women the same broad brush but that's really what she's talking about i think it's weaponization of all the worst faults right that men can fall into
0: right and i think this is incredibly important to acknowledge before getting into the conversation of feminism and femininity because she's going to argue for femininity over feminism right as their reaction and as a way to uphold men and also like uphold our own dignity as mm-hmm. women um but like this is an important conversation because it's shedding light on all of it all the truth of it because this is dynamic like there's there's a lot of problems here that we're seeing due to sin right due to brokenness due to all of these things but but um with you know with the grace we can we can overcome these things um Okay. So she also goes into this sort of, how do you say that word? Machismo. Yeah. Machismo. (laughs) How like men will feel, view feelings and compassion and tenderness. um, As as weakness. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And she's, she's pointing at Nietzsche here. I love that she just digs into the philosophers because I think that's something in our modern conversation. In the academic world, you're going to dig into philosophers, but in just regular people world, um, it's really like we actually like in our modern mindset, don't understand how much we are influenced by these philosophers, by these modern philosophers and like the lies that we have been like fed through like these uh, through people like Nietzsche and Freud. Um, Like there's all this sort of backing to this modern mindset that is simply bad philosophy and so she she shows that too she's like i'm you know we're we're gonna go right to the source of this problem of like our how we're viewing things
1: yeah well and i mean that's it's part of part of nietzsche's project on the whole was the view that christianity is a is a religion for for women and fools essentially because it it valorizes empathy and love and pity and compassion and mercy right and so when you view those things as, uh, you, those are, those are feminine or those are for children mm-hmm. right? because they're, that's, you know, you, you, you can't be that way. If you think that you can be that way in the real world, then you're, you're stupid or you're naive or you're weak, or you're foolish, this idea. But, and in a certain sense, he's right. I mean, cause Paul talks about God's wisdom being foolishness to the world. And so there's a certain sense in which it is a little bit foolish to base your whole life on mercy and compassion and love because you means that there's probably more chance of you getting taken advantage of mm-hmm. but i mean that's that's i think what it would genuinely means to be fully alive as a man or a woman to sort of lay your own life down and take the risk of being taken advantage of in that particular sense yes yeah. that's that so that that kind of weakness isn't really weakness at all. I think strength of character.
0: Nietzsche is s- sort of talking about more feminine gifts and I think this is something else that like we just need to hit on here. So when we talk about masculine and feminine gifts, there are masculine and feminine gifts, but that doesn't mean that I can't learn from you and practice str- like I'm not strong, right? So like a man has the gift of strength. Like that I can't be strong in moments or nobility, right? She named that, that like I can't be affected and live out nobility. And you in the same note can be compassionate and warm and gentle as well. Like we learn from each other, but we have a particular like set on our hearts kind of like genius, Mm -hmm. right? Excellence in these things. And I think that's part of the reason we need each other is because then we can learn these things from each other, but we, we really should, we, we can't, um, lose all of femininity. And I think that's like the battle these days is like, get rid of the gentleness, get rid of the warmth, which is all Nietzsche, right? Get rid of the empathy, get rid of the mystery, you know, and, and that's a problem. But I think, you know, everyone, we want it to be black and white. We want it to be so simple, but it's not. You know what I mean? Like there's there are these crossovers that we need. And we see that with uh, John of the Cross as well. St. John of the Cross talks about that. Like these, like we need to be, you know, all people need to be receptive, right? But like women have a particular um, gift in receptivity. But a man needs to be receptive to God, right? Yeah. Um. So there's a sort of like, there's something really deep there, I think. Okay, so then she she sort of gets into these different like literary examples um, and we move on to the feminine genius the the and the seductress. So a woman turning into someone who seduces. So this is like woman's greatest weakness. Um, and it's a way to I think, assert domination.
1: Yeah, well, what she's talking about, I mean, when she when she separates, these two into the brute and the seductress she's basically just pointing out the fact that when men and women are wounded by sin and they become defensive and they become and their mindset is just about being able to get what they want they resort to what the easiest thing to get what they want is for most men it's sort of physical strength Mm -hmm. because just in general that's what gets the job done and you're going to be stronger than pretty much any other woman as an adult male right just your anatomy makes you that way And it seems like what she wants to say here is, okay, well, for women, the easiest thing is to use their beauty Mm because on just like the average man is much stronger than the average woman. The average woman is much more beautiful than the average man. (laughs) Right. It's just, it's just true. You call it the fair sex for a reason. Um, So that's, so that's, it seems like that's what she's getting at. Right. When we, when we allow ourselves to be ordered by sin rather than virtue and grace, we tend to resort to just the lowest common denominator. What makes life easiest for me. Mm. Right. And so it's, that's, that will be different for men and women just because men and women are different.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's interesting though, that like a woman would use her beauty, beauty to seduce. Um, Like if you think of how, like if you just put light on that and see like how that, Um, is objectifying herself you know and like lessening her own dignity which you can see that in the man too like when he's a brute like it's becoming animalistic you know like this is what it does is Mm -hmm. it like takes away from our reason and our dignity when we behave in these ways well I think that's all for chapter one and we're really looking forward to talking about chapter two next week the terrible lie of feminism and we hope you'll join us again